Episode 7 of The Exit Strategy. We're greeted by Jason Mayer, the founder and lead architect of Audit Chain. We talk all things crypto and blockchain. Now let's hear the count. One, two, three, four. You're listening to The Exit Strategy, a podcast that inspires open discussions about financial news and technology today. My name, Marcus McGarian, a recovering SaaS vendor, joined by my co-hosts, Ralph DeFiori and Swadek Mazundar. And we're sitting down with startup founders, technology experts. Now let's begin. Guys, we're back at the exit strategy it we're doing a weekend special you know this week was so busy with so many things happening we came together um you know because we want to keep this weekly it's the most important thing but but the market's been crazy i mean swadek ralph i mean you know it's good to have you guys back i want you guys to know that um we might have to start doing things on saturday more often because like i have so much more time to think marcus are you suggesting you're taking away saturdays from us now come on well, I put my kid in nap time, so you know he he's not going to get up anytime soon. Ra- Ralph doesn't have to put his kids in nap time anymore. They're they're like they're around my age right here. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a I got a nineteen year old, so she's still sleeping. <laughs> oh, that's right. We've we've even had we've even had Chinese dinner. Uh, you took me out for lunch Chinese across the street um, from the place of work. Um, you know, we couldn't we couldn't pay for that Chinese lunch in crypto though. That that's the thing that drives me crazy. You know, because like nowadays, like it's a good time to buy crypto because it seems like the prices have gone down quite a bit. But you know, everyone everyone's hot on crypto these days. I mean, either you're a hater because the price has gone down too much, or or you're you're a lover like Fidelity or Ark Investments. They've been pumping out these um, you know these ETFs. You know, even even Swift is getting in the game. You know, they're they're doing this ISO two zero zero two two. I don't know if if I'm going to be the bad guy and say twenty o two two or double two. What, what what's the right term for this thing? I think two zero two two. I mean, it, it depends. You know, I mean, I don't think it's mainstream yet, but uh, you know, uh, that that'll be decided. Yeah, but they're they're allowing you to you put crypto through Swift. Like I could, it's going to be like a normal thing. I could open up a, does this mean I could open up a Citibank account and start transferring money or transferring my, let me see, well, I Marcus, Marcus, excuse me. The, the, the more they bring this into the uh, mainstream, the more the government can um, follow what's going on, monitor what's going on with the crypto. Uh, I've always believed that uh, at least the United States was not going to give up on its currency and would not allow uh, cryptocurrency to exist in sort of a vacuum away from government control uh, because of uh, uh, crime and uh, monetary policy. So... Uh, I eventually see the U.S. government or the Fed taking over and uh, having a, a U.S. cryptocurrency, an official cryptocurrency. You know, Elon Musk used to be a big fan of Doge. What happened to Doge? Doge had a cool logo. You know. <laughs> the dog? 
the dog. Yeah, and, yeah. And that, that was a joke, right? That was a joke, and that's it was what a joke. But he yeah. even went on. He remember he went on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and then he was. He, you know, he even had his mother on the show, and they were talking about Dogecoin. That was like a, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of people were trying different projects with Doge, you know. But you know, we're talking about crypto. You know, you know, we have we have a guest uh, with us, Jason Myers, who probably knows a lot about this world. He's been, you know, he's been, uh, you know, embedded in that system for a very long time. He's actually the founder and lead architect of Audit Chain. So why don't we just bring him in and let him? Give us some some of his thoughts, Jason. How are you? I, I'm I'm Marcus McGarian, and we have of course Ralph DeFiori. Um, I went from U.S. dollars to euro. Neither of them are cryptos, but I figure that this is the time for me to learn. Hey guys, how are you? Nice to meet you, Marcus and Ralph. And I'm Hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Jason, before you joined in, uh, Ralph, Marcus, and we were just talking about crypto in general. You know, obviously we have the crypto winter now, as we term it. But we were also talking about the Binance hack, right, that recently happened. And that keeps happening. We hear news about these things over and over again. Uh, what are your thoughts? What's going on? And, you know, talk about maybe, you know. The Binance hack? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they recovered it because, uh, you know, he sends a text. He freezes his nodes. And they recover it. So nobody lost money, right? No. Binance is a slightly distributed database. It's not a blockchain. They'll call it a blockchain, but it's, you know, it's, it's originally a fork of Ethereum uh, designed to absorb value from the crypto ecosystem onto the Binance ecosystem, right? As you know, He's the richest guy in crypto, and Binance is the largest exchange in crypto. You you were doing something interesting, you know, Ralph. Uh, uh, Marcus and I were looking into uh, audit chain, so maybe you know, talk about that. What what brought you into that? And you know, you've been in this space for a while. Give us some color. So I had a fight with Finra over an accounting, and this is what came out of it. I was a banker for 25 years. As you know, Swatik and I go back 32 years, I believe. I don't recall. You don't recall? How long? Or you don't recall us going back? I, I don't recall anything you just said. Okay. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, in any event, I realized that regulators, when they're overzealous, attempt to impeach based on false pretenses. And then um, when that episode concluded, uh, this is what I saw in my mind. When I fell down the Ethereum rabbit hole in 2014, I'm going to say, I this was the first thing I saw was accounting, audit, and financial reporting. And I thought, what a way to protect the innocent from overzealous regulation other than creating a, a protocol that preserves the one 
single, immutable, universal, indisputable truth, right? And so um, we've got a, a team together that includes um, our product manager who invented XBRL, which is used all over the world, as you guys might know, uh, for the preparation and communication of financial uh, reporting and, and, and tax reporting. So <clears throat> uh, we're probably a month away from launch, month and a half away from launch, but it's been a long time. It's a very, very complex project. It's not what I planned for my life, but here we are. But Jason, did you do the normal uh, process where you do an ICO, raise money, then go and build, no. or did no. you do it uh, differently? No, no, no. Every the money we raised was private. We never did an ICO. Um, you know, I kind of hid under my chair during that whole era because I, you know, I was watching what everyone was doing, and it was just it became borderline disgusting. And a lot of the things that were happening in the NFT space most recently, you know, I had the same sentiment and attitude toward. And it's not that these aren't revolutionary events in history. They really, really are. It's just the element that comes along with it is very unsophisticated and to a great extent, not knowledgeable. Some of the teams that are actually building real projects are incredibly bright. And, um, you know, I try to surround myself with people like that. I'm considered, uh, you know, an early adopter in the space. So I've made some friends that are also early, earlier adopters, but um, we didn't take that path. So, so who 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 are your clients? What <clears throat> market are you going after? Where where does it seem to be a lot of uh, interest in what you're doing? So there's interest from accountants and enterprises. I think that the entire crypto space needs ambulatory care because um, unless you're a sufficiently decentralized base protocol um you're trespassing in constant violation of the 34 act because americans own those tokens and so long as a speck of dust ends up in the hands of an american the sec can reach around the world in a certain jurisdiction and get it right so that's a space that needs ambulatory care um and then you have uh, we have the ability to replace most Edgar agents, right? Uh, Y'all know what Edgar agents are, I'm sure. So, um, yes. and they're used really as an afterthought in the United States by smaller public companies, right? The larger accelerated filers usually have their own license with a Workiva or Datatrax or Topon Merrill, right? Um, the old Donnelly, which is DFIN right now, right? Remember R.R. Donnelly, Ralph, right? You were yeah. first. Mm -hmm. You're old enough, right? Well, I'm just 22. No, Baron. Ralph is not, Ralph is not old at all. He's got a last podcast. Oh, Baron, but you remember when we did, 
you know, IPOs, Bound used to deliver the boxes of the prospectuses, right? Mm -hmm. Bound is part of uh, Donnelly, and, you know, they don't do that anymore. It's all machine-readable instance documents. So um, uh, accountants love what we're doing because it automates their work. Uh, we have a, a, I can't even call it a feature, it's a platform that allows accountants and uh, professionals to create process control NFTs, right? So uh, that world lives inside of Excel traditionally, and they have all these formulas that they use that they think are proprietary. They're really not. Every accountant has them, and they use them to uh, deal with their clients. So they can create a process control NFT by uh, within the audit chain suite, uh, using those formulas and uh, commit them to the library. And when they get used, the creator gets paid a royalty and the validators that prove that they work correctly also get paid a royalty, right? So now you've built a huge public library of controls that move the industry more and more toward a highly precisioned, real-time, continuous accounting audit and continuous reporting environment, which is what blockchain is, right? I mean, MicroStrategy <clears throat> is a perfect example of a legacy entity form type that hides an open ledger based digital asset behind a periodic disclosure framework. So what do I mean by that? Um, as you may know, you can see value uh, and its movements on a blockchain because if you go to the Explorer and you know the addresses, you can see it. So what MicroStrategy is doing is they're exposing information that would otherwise be hidden behind a firewall, accounting information systems, and bank custody environments, right? Because 90% of their assets are now uh, held in Bitcoin. So you have these conflicts of, um, how should I say? I mean, if you really you if you really look at the technical aspects of reporting requirements, you, you can say that technically they're in violation because if they move those assets and the movement is exposed to the public, they have an 8K obligation, right? They have three days to file on Form 8K. Now, if you've got constant movement, that means you've got constant Form 8K violations. And if you've got constant Form 8K violations, well, then that gives rise to the need to real-time financial reporting at a bare minimum of a balance sheet on the spot in real time, right? Jason, it's fascinating. Can I ask, uh, did you contact uh, Tesla's uh, auditors to ask them if- uh... No, no, the auditors don't care about XBRL. What happens is when you go through an audit, as you may know, um, when you finish your financial statements and there's a prosecution back and forth, 
their citations and comments and cures and uh, remediation. Um, you get an email from the auditor when they're done saying, we have no further comments. You can go ahead and file your 10Q or your 10K. And then what happens is it's then sent off to a service center or you're processing it through software that you've licensed if you're a larger accelerated filer, right? And the auditor doesn't look at that. So a lot of the times those errors might actually occur between the time the auditor says no further comments and the time it's outputted on the other side after it's processed. So um, we did contact Tesla, but there was no response. Do you have, uh, is this at all interesting to short sellers? Yes, this, uh, very much so, very much so, very much so. More, have so you... more so to the short sellers than it is to, you know, CFAs that allocate capital based on a thesis, right? Right. On did did you, um, have you come up with, you don't have to tell us the names, but have you well, come you know up with... You know the names. No, no, but I mean, have you come up with any um, companies that seem, you know, a uh, big question mark over their financials? Yes. There are many. Okay. There are many. But, but Jason, is it, a lot of times when you said it moves, when it moves, are these non-collusion kind of uh, atmospheres or is it... Um, unintentional so unintentional can be enforced right i mean there's certain rules that you are breaking that's criminal but something that you are not doing it it's by accident can you still enforce that well i mean look there are inconsistencies that may be a result of stupid errors yes right <clears throat> for instance the wrong polarity on a line item. So it should be 3 billion in liabilities. It's should be minus 3 billion, it's plus 3 billion. Clearly that's a, a stupid error, right? Unless there's collusion to do that on purpose to see how long you can get away with that and then maybe add another line item. I mean, financial statement fraud is the most expensive by far. You know, uh, if you read the reports of the nations that comes out every year, that's put out by the uh, Association of Fraud Examiners. Uh, financial statement fraud is by far the most expensive per instance, right? But um, the SEC doesn't, has not historically pursued inconsistencies, right? Um, but they have issued public statements indicating that they're going to step up their efforts to increase data quality right and they work with xbrl international and xbrl us to mostly xbrl us to do to do that so um in europe if you're caught with inconsistencies with esma filing manual rules the issuer and the auditor can get in trouble even if it's trivial errors. So when you talk about, when you, you go back to Tesla and the auditors and say, you know, there are inconsistencies, 
why do you think they are not responding? Do they think you are not developed enough? There's not much visibility. No, they don't care. But isn't you know isn't the CFO and the CEO liable? They are signing the financial statements, yes, but they don't care because, again, there is no obligation to pass anything other than the Edgar Filing Manual rules, which are largely syntactical, right? It'll pick up stupid errors or syntactical errors, right? Or a polarity, right, which is a stupid error or they'll claim it's a stupid error. They'll fix it, they'll restate, and they'll be done. Thank you very much. In Europe, that's not the case. So that we happens... Think that, we what? think that will... Um, sorry, go ahead, Martin. That, hap- that happens a lot in the United States? It happens a lot, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times I look at these, like, uh, 10Ks, 10Qs, and I'm like, these numbers somehow don't really make sense, or the the, the, the information that I see on those filings... It doesn't feel like I'm getting any information. Well, that's the use case that you would use as a cell side member for analysis, right? Yeah, but I, I find I find those eight Ks, uh, those ten um, Ks or ten Qs, just comp- a little bit worthless unless I get like the actual insider Excel file. They are to an extent, but guess what? The law says that. That's the only truth there is. You can go to a, con- you know, attend a conference call and read press releases, but the one truth that the company is supposed to be telling is filed with the SEC. So if I can't rely on that, then what, what do I rely on? I guess I should buy European stocks. European stocks are, you know, it's the same thing, only a different, uh, you know, it's all the same thing. The, look, Jason, here's another Jason, thing. Do you, do you... One, one second. It's, it's really important. The world does not know this, but highly sophisticated technical accountants do know this. The taxonomies that are created and prescribed by standard setters and, and, and regulatory agencies around the world contain flaws. We know this because we've tested them. And if they contain flaws, that means report models contain flaws. And if report models contain flaws, then the actual financial reports themselves contain flaws, but they go completely undetected because the software industry, and it's a very small industry, is dominated by players that build only to regulatory specifications, no more. They don't care about anything else. You just wanna fly through the accepted form type. You've seen those Edgar messages, right, Ralph? Or Marcus? Oh, we've, yeah, we, we've, we have clients that are listed and I'll get pings about what's going so, yeah. on. Accepted form type, right? 10Q accepted form type. I love those messages. Yeah. Um, at least I used to. But um, just because the form is accepted doesn't mean it's correct. But that's the only truth that, you know, you, you, and then, you know, you question, you know, the SEC says that their mandate is investor protection. Are investors being protected? I don't know. 
I mean, those financial reports are written by accountants and lawyers for accountants, lawyers, and regulators. The average person doesn't read them. And even if they did, they wouldn't know what they were reading anyway. I mean, you, an experienced individual, Marcus, just expressed how confusing or oblique they might actually be. I remember so, back in the late 90s, it used to be that researchers could buy stock or were given like pre-IPO shares and all these things that were true back then. And then it feels like when you look at old prospectuses versus new prospectuses, today they're ridiculously watered down compared to what they used to be when I was a trader at like Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley. Well, that's because they were made out of paper back then and, they, you know, they, they would dress them up in glossy covers and so on. Now it's... Uh, very little room to include colorful graphics in an instance document that's uploaded to the Edgar or ESMA filing system, right? So, so Jason, are you suggesting the standard rules have to change moving forward and they've got to gotta, adopt? They've got to be expanded to include you know, rules that are more refined, that can detect things that will help the investment community, right? It's not the SEC's money at stake. It's not the company's money at stake. It's your money that's at stake, right? It's taxpayers' money that's at stake because when you, on a cumulative basis, all these little inconsistencies create not even a half truth that the investment world relies upon and when they're wrong, really wrong, well, taxpayers end up picking up that tab every time there's some sort of a bailout. You've got government agencies, including the Fed, that have to rely and have no choice but to rely on this information. And they make policy decisions based upon flawed information. So where are we as a society as a result? Right? So you feel that the United States should adopt IFRS? No, not no. by any stretch. Okay. I, in 2010, I had my own firm and I hired two guys to create a system to strip away all of the games that you can play under U.S. GAAP so as to reveal the true economic performance of a company. And when you put the two side by side, GAAP, non-GAAP, it's a totally different picture. Right. And the research that we put, we, put, we, we covered 11,000 companies with two people. And we used that data, the XBRL data, but we appropriated it differently so that we can remove, like, for instance, the old FAS 123R accounting treatment for derivative liability for equity compensation was a huge factor, a huge factor in obscuring the financial truth of a company. So, um, and we back tested that stuff and we proved that, you know, US GAAP, IFRS is worse. US GAAP is rules-based, which is to say it's like a four lane highway paved with asphalt with guardrails, relatively straight with a few curves. IFRS is a 12-lane dirt road 
winding around mountains with no guardrails. But they claim to be principles-based, so... They are principles-based, that's <laughs> correct. Principles, right? Based, as opposed to rules-based. So... <laughs> Jason, uh, I gotta ask, uh, uh, do you have a service that rates the accounting quality of all companies, like uh, these are triple A's, sort of like uh, credit rating, but uh, uh, opining on the quality of the accounting. It's a confidence score. And you have that? We, we have the basis of it. We prefer, so we have, if you think about what we do as an ontology, we have the ontology, we have the semantics, and if you're an analyst, are you a CFA, Ralph? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're a CFA, you, you can create all the rules that you want that comply with your thesis and create your own confidence or rating score. And we will give you all of that. Plus, if you don't mind sharing, you can, and you should share. Right, because it's kind of like charts. The more everybody uses a chart, the more true a trading pattern will end up being. And I don't mean to compare it with technical analysis because that's tea leaf stuff, but um, if everyone used the same rules of analysis, then companies may comport their accounting in compliance with analysis rules. So eventually we get you know, we boil it all down to a truer expression of financial and operating results. But we'll give you the ontology, the semantics, and the tools to create your own rules and earn royalties when someone else uses those rules, right? Mm -hmm. So Goldman uses them or BlackRock or CalPERS or whoever mm -hmm. uses those rules, you'll get paid a royalty. It sounds like the music industry, you know, the more time it you is. stream. It's funny you say that because we've turned business process controls and business intelligence controls into pieces of media because they're represented by NFTs, right? You own them, you generate income from them. And then if you want to sell them to someone who will pay a multiple of their income, you can, which really raises the prospect of what would drive the next global bull market in equities. So you have $450 billion a year that's a sunk cost because most companies spend that money on Accenture, Capgemini to come in, install, reinstall accounting and related systems. And they obviously want to sit staffs around the world, around the clock, to sit there and attenuate all of those controls. Well, if you hire them to create these controls that you end up owning, that you make part of the library that other people use, you'll gain income from that as a corporation and recover the cost that you laid out and then let's say at the end of the third or fourth or fifth year, after you've maybe amortized the cost, right? Because at that point, it's a digital asset, which means it's an intangible. 
Whereas paying money to Capgemini or Accenture may not be a large part of that is a delicate balance of expensing and amortization in a tax efficient manner. So, but at the end of a third, fourth or fifth year, if you sell all those controls to back to Accenture who built them for you, it's like a sale leaseback, right? So your stockholders equity impact on that is substantial. So maybe that's a basis for an increase in stock price in a slow growth, high inflationary environment. Jason, you talk about <clears throat> launching audit chain. What does that mean? Uh, you know, our listeners, uh, you know, put in simple words. So the launch, our first launch will be a Web3 platform, connect with your wallet. Um, and an analysis, you can conduct analysis on all of the existing reports filed in 51 jurisdictions around the world that mandate the use of machine readable instance documents, right? As you submit those for analysis and you receive the reports back, all those reports get written to IPFS. <clears throat> and there are dozens of endpoints that we're using to display that as a graphical illustration to the world's investors and regulators just how bad that information really is. So um, we're in the middle of developing a interface in the form of a globe, a Google Earth. And <clears throat> corporate headquarter locations are tagged. That's easy data. Um, so <clears throat> depending upon how many, if, if a report contains one or more inconsistencies, then the dot on the map is red. If it doesn't contain any inconsistencies, then the dot is green. The majority of those dots are going to be red. And that's enough for someone at a regulatory agency who has influence or control over budgets to think about planning, right? It's to provoke regulators into moving the quality of the information and the integrity and reliability of that information in the right direction. It's enough to make CFAs around the world go, wait a minute. We have millions of beneficiaries that we're investing on behalf of, you know, how do we play a role, right? So in, in improving that information. And the only way to do it right now is to show the world how bad it is. Because you're not moving the SEC. You're not negotiating with the SEC. You're not moving FASB, the IFRS Foundation. <laughs> but better luck with AICPA than you will with those regulatory agencies, right? The accountants are so stuck and set in their ways that they don't even care. So the only Shouldn't way the, is to show the world who has their money at stake where the problems are. And Jason, should, shouldn't the board of directors hire you to make sure that there's nothing wrong going on in the company? Um, the board of well, 
so my favorite person on the board of directors is your audit committee chair, right? Um, he has a delicate balance in acting the interest of the company, acting in the interest of the public, but he's the one that interfaces with the auditors, right? Um, again, audit committees in the United States don't care about that unless you can display the difference between the rules that are used now and the additional rules that can be used to increase quality. This is, uh, the only way I can explain it is, it's a feat of social engineering. Because again, you have to get people who don't care or who don't move to move and to care. How do you do that? Well, you do it with votes. You do it with raising the visibility of the problem. And you've got to do that on a wholesale basis. And it has to be presented in a way that's quantitative, that you can look at with your eyes and in three seconds say, oh my God, that's bad, right? Now you got government agencies and central banks around the world questioning just how reliable the information is when they collate and compile their information, which is used as a basis to make policy decisions. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you did. J Jason, what, one more question, uh, you know, uh, that comes to mind. Did you ever try uh, using your system uh, against the books of the United States government? So that's a good question. Florida just published a taxonomy with which they're going to use <clears throat> to report information financial information, um, budget information, financial uh, statement information. Um, and there are other states that are taking this initiative also. University of Michigan, uh, everybody's preparing for the passage of the Data Transparency Act. Are you familiar with that bill? No. So there's a, um, a policy organization called uh, the data foundation and they have been pushing the data transparency act which we believe will pass it's passed the house it's in the hands of the senate it is believed it will be passed uh with a sign uh, uh um it's a bipartisan bill and they think it'll pass the senate and if it passes the senate obviously the president will sign it and it's expected to be passed within the next six months by the Senate. It mandates all agencies of the US government to start publishing machine readable data with respect to budgets and financial performance. And so that's a huge opportunity for us. There's a guy on our uh, advisory board who help the state of Florida prepare for all. And it's all going to be done using XBRL, machine readable logic and data, right? There's an effort that we're pushing at the object management group 
um, to push our model through and make it a standard. And if OMG makes it a standard, the next is the IS, uh, it's, it becomes, a, it, it, the next is making it a standard at the ISO level, right? And that model is called uh, standard business report model, which is a series of controls that create guardrails and prevent you from making any mistakes or errors in a wide variety across a wide variety of financial reporting styles and a wide variety of financial reporting schemes. Hmm. So maybe you could also get like an Instagram influencer. You get someone like, you know, how Will Smith went up on stage and slapped the guy. That's how it changed everything in the whole ceremony. It's funny you say that because our community, three hours after that event occurred, they memefied it. Yeah. So Will Smith became audit chain and Chris Rock became standard accounting practices. That's right. <laughs> You'll get, you're going to change yeah, the game. I, I yeah. saw that. I saw that. That's you funny. Gotta, then you got to get Kanye West because he has faith. You know, Kylie's got the Instagram for you. Michael and Jordan's got the shoes. There is a lot of truth to that because they are the people that will influence education on ordinary people. Yes. Nobody wants to see Gary Gensler's finger. Nobody wants to. The SEC has an image problem right now. And. They did something last week that they think <clears throat> will speak to a huge swath of people in the country. <clears throat> um, they imposed a settlement with Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian was selling a token without disclosing that she was being paid for promoting it. And <clears throat> the SEC took the opportunity to gaslight the world and saying that that thing was a security. And we dinged Kim Kardashian, who has millions of followers, as you know, and all of her followers saw it, it was all over the news. Um, <clears throat> so look, 13 years ago, very few people knew what a central bank was and how it functioned, and what its purpose was. Because of Bitcoin, my kids know what a central bank is and what it does. And yeah, everybody I had, to, knows I, had, I had to read The Secret of Jekyll Island for that one. Yeah. <laughs> so um, everybody knows the nature of the debasing effects of monetary policy perpetrated by central banks around the world, right? Because this hard, sound people's money called Bitcoin where you cannot make more than 21 million is becoming in their minds in comparison to our fiat systems a harder sounder form of money right we get taxed twice we get taxed and then we get debased right now we're you know as you know we're in the middle of the biggest monetary debasement since the 70s 40 percent of the dollars in circulation today were created in the last two years. Excuse me, not just dollars, but fiat around the world. Yeah. It's like a hockey stick. If you look at the outstanding number of dollars, which they don't publish that uh, M1, they, 
I mean, it's there, but they don't publish it like they used you, to. They don't. You mean like the M three? They stopped like in two thousand sixteen, and then right. M two. You know, that's right. And they call it creating new tools to attenuate monetary policy. If you measured inflation the same way Volcker did in 1982, 83, woo, oh. rates would be 30%. Well, they have to have excluding food and fuel, right? Well, soon there's only going to be paper clips in those components. The mm. price of paper clips, they're going to run out of components to take away. <clears throat> I've been yeah. saying that, by the way, for 20 years. There's been inflation for a long time. It's just now they don't have an ability to hide it anymore, right? So if mm. you, for instance, when was the last time you went and bought a pint of Tropicana orange juice or a pint of Ben and Jerry's? Do you remember when? The next I tried to keep my six-pack, you know. Last night. <laughs> okay. So when you go, look at how much it weighs. It's weighed 14 ounces for the last 15, 16 years. It's not a pint anymore. That's volume deflation. At the same time, the price of it rises. So you've got a double win. But that doesn't show up in inflation numbers, right? Mm. Since I'm a kid, I've looked at the weight and the cost per uh, pound of almost everything that's published that way. My grandmother used to send me to the deli when I was eight, nine years old to get milk. And for some reason, I don't know why, I would tender six a dollar, right? And I would get a gallon of milk <clears throat> and I'd get 30 cents back. I'd look across the street and I'd see gas at 89 cents. But I would watch it because I remember the price of a gallon of milk was always more expensive than the price of a gallon of gas. And every time the price of gas per gallon went above milk, it corrected. Sometimes it took a month, two months, three months, but it always corrected, right? So, I mean, this is stuff that I looked at my whole life. Don't ask me why, because I don't really know, but I always took an interest in it. So, anyway, I, I think I'm... In, in college, I, it, was a, it was like 79 cents like in the 90s for a gallon of gas yeah you know and i i remember when something happened it went up to like 89 cents and then it crossed a dollar but like now it's like seven dollars a gallon is like a normal thing in california uh we can't we have to exclude california in pricing these things new york is probably a better state florida is a good state i'm sorry i don't mean to be red or blue i'm not but for some reason these states are better measurements and more accurate measurements, right? I think in California, nobody really feels the cost of a gallon of milk because in San Francisco, because, well, it's a very significant top end of the wealth gap that lives there, highly concentrated, uh, right? I think... Uh, plus plus the, the diet, the diet, uh, you know, theme has changed as well. You know, a lot of That's people right. are getting good and stuff like that so. that's right that's jason right. i i thought you were going to say because you could steal it and not get in trouble in california <laughs> i i haven't been to california nor have i stayed there long enough to determine if that's the truth right it's been about 15 years since i've been to california i go the other yeah. way i spend half my time and more than half 
183 days out of the year in Switzerland. Oh, which nice. Has the best dairy in the world, by the way. Best dairy in the world is in which, Switzerland. Which city in Switzerland? Zug. Okay, the, the German-speaking part. Yes. It's about a, a half an hour southwest of <clears throat> I've, 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 I, uh, I, I live in France, so I, have, uh, I always go to the places like Geneva or Lausanne <clears throat> or Montreux. Uh, Montreux, rarely, rarely yeah. to the German part. My first visit to Switzerland was in Geneva, and in 1996 we would start. Uh, we would go to the Montreux Jazz Festival every year. I, yeah. I knew I met Claude Nobs. I knew him. We'd go up to his chalet during the festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when I found out that Zug was Crypto Valley, I laughed. Right. I said, oh, that's Switzerland's revenge for the UBS debacle for turning over all those documents to the State Department. Mm. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I remember Zug when there was, you know, nothing but cows, two pharmaceutical companies, and Mark Rich. I mean, how, how are you, I mean, you're like a, you know, I, I left finance to work for a, a French tech startup, so I, I became a SaaS vendor. Is the is the way that you're gonna grow the business the same way, like uh, hiring SDRs and getting pre-sales and? Um... Yes and no. Um, you have to serve it as a SaaS infrastructure. Yeah. For <clears throat> accountants, auditors, and reporting entities to use. Yeah. Right. You can. You will connect a wallet. Because if you connect a wallet, then you've got an immutable audit trail as to who's been interacting with which rules at what time. Yeah. And you have a cryptographic architecture that preserves your operating history on a per address basis. When you, if you log in via Web 2, there's only so much of an audit log that you can preserve, right? Um, and you can put all that stuff on chain. but uh, to answer your question specifically, there may be some companies that we're talking to now that may not be ready for a t- to use a token yet. Yeah. But more forward-thinking companies are now open-minded to using crypto yeah. and Web3. So what might cost you a quarter of a million dollars to do on a yearly basis you can actually end up making money by contributing resources back to the network yeah. by running a few Pacioli nodes right? or creating some controls that, you know, other people use so that you can generate income. From you mean like selling, selling the data, not selling the data um, or, lend, or lending the data? No. So <clears throat> we had a deal that was a data trust. And you could go and it was because like if you put the information on Google, it's available to everybody. But the value is created through the scarcity and the data trust allows you to access certain data. And then because of that, people are willing to pay a certain fee for that data. Yes, but um, you get into a delicate area from a regulatory standpoint because if the sec finds out that you're selling information that would otherwise be material non-public information 
and you're using that to your benefit, you can obviously, as you know, you can get into trouble. But when I say make an income, I mean contributing back to the audit chain infrastructure, right? The way blockchains work is <clears throat> you can use the currency, the base currency, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, or you can develop on top of it, or you can contribute to the ecosystem by providing computational resources, which is proof of work, right? Or you can stake value and earn a return. Staking value also secures the chain, but that's a more imperialistic way to run a blockchain rather than a democratic way of proving computational work, right? You've heard of the proof of work, proof of stake in a blockchain. In our case, it's proof of relative work, meaning that the Pacioli nodes are doing actual work analyzing financial reports, right? It's not doing work to secure a chain because we sit on top of Polygon and Ethereum. So that base layer is already assumed to be secured, right? But our nodes work the same way where if you run 10 Pacioli nodes, yeah. well, then you're going to earn an income. You do have to stake tokens to earn that income, the right to earn that income, right? So if you think as the token as a transferable software license that allows you to participate in the network in some way, shape, or form. So every Pacioli node operator has to stake 5,000 audit tokens. That's how we're going to launch it. If the community wants to change that, they can vote through the governance mechanism and change the amount you have to stake, right? And so if the price goes up high, community may get together and change the number that you have to stake, right? And the node is how you get the data? The node is how you validate financial no. state data. The data itself is accessible through our front end, right? So if you want data, then you'll submit a financial report filed with regulators already and get that data back. Or if you're a reporting entity, yeah. you'll use those nodes to verify that your financial report, which is a logical system, by the way, yeah. is working properly before you file it with a regulator so or before that, you publish it. And that's how it works. You API with something like Eggers. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, yes, it's API based, but we also provide front end interfaces. If you don't like our front end, take the API and build your own. Okay. Yeah, so, <clears throat> Jason, how do you see this again um, getting mainstream? Uh, for what you, you're doing, something really interesting. Uh, what audit chain does. So one of the one of the ways we think mass adoption will occur is during our initial launch, we're going to pay CFAs and professionals to create the controls for a while. Right. The network will pay. Right. And that should stimulate mass adoption. <clears throat> and then the consumption of those controls 
is also incentivized. Once you get to a point where mass adoption is underway, that model reverses, right? Jason, who who are your clients now? What kind of clients do you have? Not not names, but types. Money managers, uh, companies. We have, we have a a non for profit association in Zug, where the membership is made up of members of the accounting, audit, financial reporting, blockchain, standard setter, legal, and academic community. <clears throat> um. And they all participate on different levels and they all have clients that when we get to a certain point, they're gonna slowly take up. So what you, you have to look at us as building, we're a construction company building a public road and we're installing the tolls and we take a piece of that toll and the ecosystem takes a piece of that toll, right? For those that contribute to the network. Cons pure consumption will end up costing money. Pure contribution will result in earning money, right? So the way these cryptographic systems, these blockchain systems work these days is you have an incentive for a period of time to mass adopt. I hate using the example, but it's a vivid example. There's a model called play to earn in the video game space, Web3 video games, right? They'll pay you tokens to play the game. So what do people do? They play the game. And the, you know these systems get millions of users, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that gives the project a chance to increase the quality and graphics of the game and the storyline, it gives them a chance to ramp up the quality of the content. And it's kind of the same with us, right? So the more quality content that the community creates in the form of business process controls and business intelligence controls, the more consumption there will be. But with the overarching uh, guiding principle that soon the world's business and financial information will be in such a state that you'll be able to not only rely on it, but you'll remove all the bottlenecks that makes up how we'll synchronize the flow of quality business intelligence so that you've leveled the playing field in terms of access to that intelligence um, and the actionability that that intelligence provides. Is that overall so, Web3 in general or? That is overall Web3 in general, yeah. Because like I, I started using Brave and it pays me uh, BAT coins. That's and right. then that's how I got my Dogecoin like a year ago. <laughs> how did you get How did you get your Doge? They paid you Doge? No. They, no, they paid me BAT. And then I use an app, which I don't know the name of it. Hold on one second. It's, uh, yeah, I can't find the name, but like it's, um, it's, there's many sites that I've gone to. Even there was an educational platform where I took some, I took all the classes I took, paid me coin. So then yeah. I transferred it to my wallet and then I converted it to like 
something else. Like Dogecoin? Well, Doge was like a year ago when it was uh, before uh, our friend Elon Musk went on Senai Live. But um, whatever it was, I mean, like, I don't even remember. It's actually just sitting on my, on like one or two wallets. And I have no idea exactly what's going on with the thing. I never look at it. It's like my retirement account. You know, I hope one day it's going to hit. Well, see, you're an, you are an ideal user. You really are. Yeah. And you'd be perfect as a user of audit chain because it's so relevant to what you and your firm does. Instead of playing games or whatever, I mean, this is a real opportunity to get in early and do the work and stack the coins because, you know, again, it's also a monetary system, right? <clears throat> but it's all transparent. Like we have a max cap, uh, uh, to put it in uh, legacy financial English, um, the maximum authorized number of tokens that will be outstanding is 250 million. Once we hit that, then the community takes over monetary policy control. They take it over from the beginning, but the max cap for what we've allocated is 250 million. And then the community controls monetary policy through changing the number of audit that is required to be staked, um, the number of audit that a validator gets paid. <clears throat> so as the price rises, the community will get together and make a change. If it falls, they will get together and make a change, right? And so, so my, sorry, Jason, similar to Bitcoin with 21 million. Is that what it is? That's Bitcoin. an algorithm that does not change. There is no governance in Bitcoin that changes. Well, that the point I'm trying to point I'm trying to get it. It becomes at the end of the day, it becomes a demand and supply play more than anything else. It right? does. It does. But also a capacity utilization play, right? The number of tokens being utilized in the network versus the number total outstanding, yeah. right? That ratio, right? Um, a good example of a governance mechanism is compound. Compound, you can make a case, can and has mechanized Basel III stress tests. Because in the last six months, as we've gone through this highly stressful period in crypto, the contrast between a Celsius, who I'm sure you've heard of, uh, and a an, uh, compound is, compound is fine. Systemically and structurally, compound has weathered this storm, whereas Celsius has not. If you read those court documents, they had no internal controls, no risk controls, and no disclosure controls. Whereas Compound is a community-based government mechanism that sets collateralization rates at a time that's most critical, right? And you can see who's voting, right? Andreessen Horowitz is a voter. Paradigm is a voter. Um, um, <clears throat> and there are a number of other you know, high profile voters who, if you're not sure, if you got a compound tokens and you're not sure how to vote, delegate it to them because they'll have a better understanding. It's the same with us, right? 
So ordinary people might delegate votes over accounting governance issues to the most popular control creators on the network who are accountants <clears throat> or node operators on the network who are accountants. Let them figure it out because they know that stuff more than more than the average person does who may own tokens, right? Yeah, Jason, you didn't mention <laughs> Celsius, uh, the CEO took out money before, uh, you know, filing for bankruptcy. You mean they stole before they knew they were filing? You know, I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be democratic. No, don't be democratic. You've got to be brutal because that's the only way the world is going to change is by telling the brutal, unvarnished truth. They stole money just before they filed for bankruptcy. They placed priority over their own interests over that of the depositors. They were a bank with no controls. They borrow from the public and they lend out the other side. That's what banks do. Only you're required to be, you know, compliant with federal, you know, OCC, Federal Reserve, state banking, right? Basel, and they weren't. But but when when you have when you have these interest rates, I remember I'd stake some, uh, you know, seven percent, eight percent. Isn't that a flag? Right I, away. I know where you're going. Listen, yeah. you and I live through long-term capital management. That's what Goodfriend was doing, and Merriweather. That's what they were doing. They were borrowing short at a low rate and lending long. That is not a viable long-term business model. That's been proven already. That is a mathematically flawed business model. It is a speculative business model. You hope that you can extend it for as long as you can before the tides turn, and your prayer is that you take it all down before that tide turns. But it never does. Nobody ever does. Nobody ever takes it down in time for that tide to turn, right? That's why the rumblings are going around the Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse rumblings, right? However, this time, I don't think they're going to allow Credit Suisse and Deutsche to fail, right? You've got $3 trillion on their balance sheet. Oh, Credit Suisse is, a big, is in big trouble. Big trouble. Well, well, have you done the work is the, is the question, right? Marcus, have you done the work? Ralph, have you done the work? Nobody's, you know, everybody's on Twitter, blah, 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 spreading these rumors. Nobody's produced the work to prove mathematically, right? Do you remember in 2008 when Ace Greenberg got on CNBC and he was asked, do you have a capital problem? What was his answer? No. Like a witness on the stand, because he's like cold as ice. Remember Ace? No. Right, right. right. But, but uh, no response. Now, at that time, he did not have a capital problem. He had third, what was it? 300 billion in inventory on his balance sheet. So when Goldman issued that memo, don't trade with counterparties one or two steps removed from best earns. The value of their inventory went to 270, 270 billion. They only had net capital of 30 billion, so they were out of capital. You know, a minor decline in the value of that inventory wiped them out. And then it got worse after that, right? As you know. So the Fed backstopped them. But. All right. Well, let's. We're going to have to call it today. You know, we're, we're starting to hit that stretch of time. I feel like we're. Uh, we're, we're we're batting extra innings here in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. we could take a nap and come back. And come back kind of thing. 
Usually, the, usually there's <laughs> snacks. You know, when there's usually when party goes as long, snacks are involved. Kind of thing, so. <laughs> right. no, that's, but, that's great, Jason. Talking. Thank you so much. It's fascinating what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me here. It's an honor J- to be on. Jason, we look forward to seeing you soon. We love the stories. Everything was uh, really cool. I especially like the background over there. And I, I'm joining your Discord. Okay. Good. Take care, Jason. Be well. Okay. Thank you, guys. Jason, a pleasure.